Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shri Guglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Richard Park, who's an emergency medicine physician who's one of the country's leading healthcare entrepreneurs and investors. He's perhaps best known for founding CityMD, which he grew from a single location in 2010 to nearly 150 sites, treating more than 4 million patients in New York and New Jersey. He's also co-founder of the private equity partnership, Ascend Partners, and CEO of RenderCare Physicians, which is a multi-specialty physician group catering to 100,000 underserved patients in 30 locations in New York City. He also has a rich background as a medical educator, so we certainly have a lot we can discuss with him today. And before we get started, I'd like to thank our friend and advisor, Peter Frischoff, who is the one who actually connected Richard and me for this podcast today. So Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you, Shane. Honored to be part of a guest panel here. And again, I too echo the shout out to Peter. So we'd like to get started by hearing about your journey into healthcare and medicine, uh, specifically emergency medicine. Do you mind giving our audience a bit of background? Sure, absolutely. Um, so listen, I, I, uh, I'm an ER doctor by training and I practiced in the ER for about 10 years. You know, and what attracted me and sort of the romance of emergency medicine for me, which I love literally every, every day of, was the fact that we cared for anyone that walked through those doors without paying attention to social class and status. And there was something very democratic about it. And so uh, emergency medicine finds you, uh, you don't necessarily find it. And so I uh, enjoyed every minute of it. I would do the all over again. That's great to hear. And um, we've had a number of emergency physicians on our podcast, including Joe Habush, who uh, started MD Calc, as well as John Dayton, uh, who started MedForms. I think there are there's something to be said for how emergency medicine provides uh, not just the democratic access to patients, but also kind of the shift work that allows you to work on other things. And there seem to be a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, people who pursue other careers within emergency medicine. So clearly you've done the same as both an entrepreneur and an investor. Do you mind giving us a bit of background on what led you to starting CityMD? I think so much of what we do is not um, a decision. It's something that happens to us. We think it's our decision. And so growing up as a Korean American, leading an immigrant-like life here in Flushing, New York, what Koreans at our generation did was we opened stores and we, we operated retail stores. And so we were diff no different. And I remember as a child following my dad around Broadway in Manhattan, and we owned a bunch of restaurants and stores and unfortunately or fortunately opened and closed them. A lot of hardship beyond every one of those store closures. But after high school, I ended up not going to college. I ended up opening a one-hour photo store between high school, because that's what we did. You open up stores and it's amazing that all these years later, we're doing one hour photo with a medical degree. And that's what CityMD is. It's one hour retail medicine in a certain sense. And even as a child, you know, walking down 86th Street in Manhattan, that's sort of where the three largest photo finishing companies were. Photo finishing was a term back then. And I remember as a kid thinking as an 18, 19, 20 year old, one day I'm gonna have a photo store on 86th Street. And sure enough, well, you know, decades later, first city in me 2010 was on 86th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue. So again, you know, a lot of these things conspire to make us do things. And we, it feels like it's our decision, but so many times it's not. And if I may one, add one more thing, um, our backgrounds and our traditions and our cultures change who we are and make us do things. 
And so dinner table conversation was always about, son, look at all the garbage, as my dad would teach me, outside that restaurant. And you know what that means? No garbage outside a restaurant means they're not going to last long. And so instead of that sort of sensitivity, even as a, as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, opening up your own one-hour photo store, having the sort of the chutzpah to kind of open a one-hour primary care, one-hour urgent care, it's, there's, a, there's a thread that goes through it that transcends us as people, but our backgrounds and our cultures and our, and our upbringing. I love that. I mean, it reminds me a lot. Uh, one of my favorite podcast guests we had was Christopher Chen, who I'm sure you've overlapped with or know, Chen MD, and has somewhat similar stories, obviously, down in Florida, what he's known as Chen Med, um, and kind of his own family's experience, you know, facing uh, financial hardship and then trying to create something that anyone could afford, right? Uh, a model that worked for underserved patients as you've done now, not once, but at least twice. So much of what we decide is not really us. Yeah, the ancestral roots that come into that. Um, I definitely can relate to that as well, being the son, being an Indian immigrant, but the son of immigrants myself. So you've obviously learned a lot in the healthcare uh, delivery space over the years, scaling from one site on 86th Street to now over 150 locations and millions of patients with CityMD. What are some of the core lessons you've learned in that process? And then, and then we'll obviously get into COVID and how that's, how that's affected everything. You know, looking back, because at 2019, at the end of 2019, um, I left management at CityMD when it merged with Summit Medical Group, a 100-year institution, which is Summit Medical Group, and CityMD, which was 100 months old, merged, uh, now being led by the very capable and very charismatic, capable uh, Dr. Jeff Levenger. Um, I left management and stood on the board. And so what I've learned in the years subsequent to that, in a couple of years, I think two things, and I didn't fully appreciate. Um, first one, you know, we've seen 16 million plus visits of which uh, I'd say now it's 5 million plus unique patients. Number one, it was, um, Acquisition is the wrong word, but the access provided for acquisition, quote unquote, of patients at an incredible scale that I didn't quite fully appreciate or grasp how difficult that was. I took it for granted. But more germane to what we're doing today in healthcare, what we invest behind, what we operate behind is how do you get physicians aligned to work together? And that requires a standardization of workflow and alignment of everything from financial to mission to vision, because physicians, like all professionals, whether you're a lawyer or an architect or a social worker, every licensed professional, we tend all to be creatures of partnerships. And so we do things similarly, we stand close together, but we don't do things the same. And you can't repeat, you can't therefore scale, and you can't make a process predictable unless you make everything as similar as possible. So standardization and workflow leading to a maniacal focus on outlier management around NPS scores, patient satisfaction scores, patients per hour and wait times and quality scores, decreasing variation and getting doctors to work repeatedly, scalably, predictably is something we learned at CityMD. And I took that for granted too. I thought that was what everyone did. And I don't think quite everyone did do that. So are those some of the lessons that you've been applying at RenderCare as well? I mean, can, and can you tell our audience a bit about, you know, this, this next chapter leading RenderCare? So RenderCare is a conglomeration of 17 practices and 80 providers serving the Chinese American Asian community. 
in 32 locations, 36 now. And so by definition, the majority of our patients in New York that are represented by these ethnic communities are the elderly and the poor, Medicare and Medicaid. So patients that typically have government-sponsored plans. And the needs of government-sponsored plans require data. It requires a hive-like approach to physician behavior. Colony events, hive of bees. And in this world of Medicare, Medicaid, organization and standardization is a premium and is very important and valuable. As opposed to the world I from, came from, which was mostly commercial, in the commercial world, it's a little different. The needs are different. So in the world of Medicare, Medicaid, where information standardization is really important, that's the area of these ethnic physician groups and their ethnic patients where um, time, attention, and capital has least been deployed. It's been least deployed in the area where it needs it the most. And so we're taking those lessons learned at CityMD. Many of my co-founders are here together with us now. How do you apply those standardization of data, information structure to standardized behavior? And I, I, we find it very powerful and um, important work. Render is actually Chinese for dignity and kindness but it's pronounced render. Our mission is to render, rendering world-class care for hardworking immigrants. And less sexy than that, the way we do it is, you know, getting everyone aligned, coordinating physician behavior through clear metrics and standardized workflows. Not sexy, but it has to be done. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, this challenge you, you've been able to solve first at CityMD and now are applying to render is something we've heard a, a bunch about over the course of the last... Um, year of having this podcast we've had people like marcus osborne who runs walmart health you know i mentioned chris chen but also rushika fernando pili at iora um, there's so many interesting models that are emerging for primary care emergency medicine urgent care delivery what does the next 10 years look like especially with all the lessons from COVID, in terms of you know are all these models going to succeed is one model going to come out as being that the dominant force um yeah where, where do you see it going Ashiv, I don't know if that's a, that's a tough question. I can't prognosticate, and my opinion would be really poorly informed. But I would say this. I like integrated delivery networks, not point solutions. So a more holistic approach to cost and care. Integrated delivery networks that incorporate primary care specialty, you know, whatever health at home at their risk. I think that makes sense for the country. I think what we're doing, the the solutions we have, whether you're Iora or ChenMed or Oak Street or all the others, Cano, and there's so many great companies. The question is, are we going fast enough, better enough to make a difference? Are we being outpaced by the inefficiencies? I suspect we're not getting better fast enough. And a lot of these models are slow growing because it's hard, right? It's de novo approaches. Is there another approach where an acquisition partnership faster that can get people aligned. You know, at CityMD, it was a different thing. We were a de novo model. We opened and everything we opened had the same systems in place. It's quite different to partner with a new group that's been in practice for 20 years and have them adjust to your ways. It's harder to tear down a house and build a house than just to build a house from scratch. So with all these models, are they going to be able to acquire, grow quickly enough to become of any significance? I don't know. When the market's trillions of dollars, we all need to go faster. 
So speaking of growing faster, uh, obviously we've heard that COVID has accelerated a lot of trends that people have been talking about for a long time. Obviously the telehealth had very little adoption relatively until COVID forced telehealth adoption to core lesson. The reason we call this raising the line is it's how do we move forward past COVID? Obviously we are nowhere close to being past COVID, especially in other countries. Um, but once we hopefully get to that point, what are some of the things that we could be doing and should continue pushing and accelerating to raise line and strengthen the healthcare system? We'd love your you know, specific thoughts uh, as specific as you can be on, you know, on things that we as a, as a healthcare system should be considering to, to improve our quality as well as access. Right, so what did COVID do? Um, I'm sure this has been discussed by many more intelligent people than I, uh, including yourself. You know, telemedicine works well in integrated delivery networks. Does it work in the commercial world? I don't know. But what I do think it has accelerated is the feasibility, the importance of, and the, the necessity of the care at home model. People are at home. We've always had people at home, but now um, it's gotten a lot of attention. And so whether it's the primary care at home market, the urgent care at home, ER at home, hospice at home, sniff at home, palliative care at home, the whatever at home model, I, I think there's a lot of amazing companies doing point solutions to it that are very exciting. So whether it's Dispatch, Contessa, Remedy, there's a, a ton of them, Ambulance. Um, I, I think the the X type of care, hospitals care at home model is is fascinating. And I think it's beneficial to patients and to payers. Yeah, we've seen a lot of movement in that space. And even at osmosis, you know, we developed an end-to-end CNA training course for certified nurse assistants, not just the demand of uh, skilled nursing facilities, but also home health agencies um, and are working with, with several at this point for some of that curricular delivery. Wearing your investor hat at Ascend uh, Partners, you know, what are some of the things you're most excited about coming out of this? This has obviously been a great year for digital health and many of the companies that we've been following for years, like Oscar and 23andMe are going public this year or already have through things like SPACs. So uh, maybe you can tell our audience a bit about what, what excites you most wearing your investor and healthcare hat. Um, it's probably not very sexy. It's not technology or AI related. It's about fundamentals. I would say my experience um, in primary care in Medicaid, Medicare here in New York, again, it just reinforced to me the importance of basic fundamentals, standardization. I'll give you an example. You know, when I walk into a lot of these primary care doctor's offices, most of them ethnic here in New York, they all want to take advanced levels of risk. The pairs are dangling in front of them, level two risk, upside only, upside and downside risk. They're eager to embrace because they all, all of us think we can do it. But when you walk into an office and you see five brands of computers and you don't know the password to this one because it's different for every one of these. And then you open it up, it's Windows 95. Now that's an exaggeration, but that's the sophistication, the technology, the workflow, the methodology required to standardize, to create a dashboard and structure against it at scale. It doesn't exist. So before AI, before all these fancy layered things on top, fundamentals. And I think in the Medicare, Medicaid world, in government payer world, that fundamental standardization is step number one, two, three, and four, and five. And people are jumping to six and seven. 
And uh, so the exciting part is people have cured smallpox with carbon paper. And I, I think we have to take a carbon approach to healthcare before you add on anything fancier. So again, that's what excites me. It's probably not a sexy answer. Doesn't give you the multiples, but I, in the long run, that will win. I believe that strategy will win. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, behavior change of physicians and other providers is difficult. You know, we obviously at Osmosis uh, mostly interact with the next generation of clinicians, right? Uh, people who are not yet stuck in their ways with regards to how to do things. This is one reason we have the podcast is to expose them to, you know, thought leaders and visionaries and entrepreneurs like yourself um, so that they can hopefully choose to go work for a render care or an, or an integrated delivery network that's doing it right. Um, as opposed to kind of getting burned out or, or whatnot on, in some other model that doesn't have great workflows and has 80% of the time being spent with documentation as opposed to patient care. You know, what is the secret factual behavior change, right? Either helping reprogram existing clinicians to, to get in these workflows or just hiring new ones. And, and what should we be training our learners so that they're, they're more malleable or more able to, to do the basics well? Healthcare needs an army of coordinated team members, physicians, extenders, front desk people, call center. Everyone needs to work in coordinated fashion. So how do we do that? Instead of trying to create these uh, Michelin star one-off restaurants that are not reproducible, we should be studying McDonald's. Every physician that wants to be a leader and wants to have an impact in the future of our care to make a difference in mass should study how do you scale and repeat predictably anything. And that's not in healthcare. Very few examples in healthcare. They should look at McDonald's and see what benefits and the, the pros and cons of both. We need physician leaders that know how to do a McDonald's. I'm sure you're familiar with the, the potatoes, that, how they get standardized French fry recipes across all these McDonald's. No, I think I did watch the Netflix show. Um, was it in there? I think there was probably some allusion to it, but yeah, I mean, I was just amazed like, like how precise they are with where they source their potatoes in Idaho from in terms of the climate uh, and all the control. And obviously climate change actually is something that McDonald's has been paying a lot of attention to because it's going to change the quality of the ingredients going into their fries, as an example. My chief medical officer, David Shee and Frank Aluzzi at different times taught me, said something to me that I initially ignored. I didn't really, I kind of blew off. He said, Richard, you guys realize quality is variance control. And he said that very simple, profound statement, and I just blew it off and I whatever. And I went on to the next conversation. But only later did I realize, as they gave us examples of this, what that means. And so in a world where there's a lot of variation, step number one is to decrease variance. So as an example, at CityMD, at one point, one of our duties was to avoid unnecessary ER visits. Nobody's served by that, right? And we had doctors sending patients to the ER 0.7% of the time. And other doctors sending patients home 25% of the time. It's insane. Like, so I don't understand. I can't comprehend how we have doctors sending one out of every four patients that came into our urgent care to the ER. Now there's a mean. And so step number one, Rich, is variance control. You work on the edges. 25% is clearly too much, right? Because there's other doctors that work in the same office different profiles, it should be more like three and a half to four, maybe three, under five. On the other hand, 0.5, 0.8, 0.9, 0.10, 0.11, 0.12, 0.13, 0.14, 0.15, 0.16, 0.17, 0.18, 0.19, 0.20, 0.21, 0.22, 0.23, 0.24
you're dangerous. You're doing something wrong too. So step number one of quality is to get it within reason. And until you get everyone within a plus or minus from two to 10, don't introduce anything new. It's not a time for AI. There's no automation to be done. Variance control. Once you get the potatoes to a similar size, that is more valuable than doing the incremental next profound thing. Once you do your homework, you can go get ice cream. And so until we have Windows 2000, at least 19 on all our computers, you can't get compliance, you can't get cybersecurity, there's no dash, there's nothing, nothing. There's no conversation to be had until most of healthcare done has basic infrastructure. And you're asking people to take risk and do things that they're not equipped to. They can't handle a fastball. That's fascinating. I love that. That's great analogies and something certainly a message worth our, our audience of perspective or existing cl young clinicians to hear. I know we're coming up in time. I had two other questions for you. One is, you know, obviously, um, you know, I'm Indian American, you're Asian American, uh, Render Care specializes in, in Asian American care. This last year has been a very challenging time for diversity, equity, and inclusion all around. And specifically this year with the Asian American community, anything you'd like to share with our audience about the way Render Care is approaching it or any, any anecdotes? I want to give you the space to share anything. That is um, a very charged question. Let me, let me answer it in a way that at least I view it recently. Um, first of all, I as a human being, as Richard Park, I have to do the very best that I can do. So as an individual, um, I have my own responsibilities to myself and my family and to my partners and to my country, right? So God, country, family, man is sort of the hierarchy that has been instilled in me as a child. So not that it's not my problem, but it, it takes a second seat to God, country, family, man, <laughs> this entire um, race relationship. So what is best for the country? It may not necessarily be best for what's ideal or perfect for each individual good, but everyone rises together. If everyone got whatever they wanted, this thing would fall apart. If everyone had perfect equity, or not just equity, but everyone had an advantage, where would we be? It's the same problem with physicians. How do we get everyone to lead? So to answer your question, um, there's a balance between dignity and our self-right and our self-preservation relative to the greater good. And so I hope we don't lose sight of that, that sometimes losing means you win. That may not be a very popular answer because I hope people don't misinterpret that. If I were to liken it to the physician world, how do you get doctors aligned? Because taking care of doctors is like feeding deer, I've once heard, okay? It's like feeding deer, you, you move too quick, they're skittish, they scare away, they don't trust, okay? Successful groups, successful physician leaders or provider leaders always sacrifice a little bit of themselves. They lead the way by self-sacrifice. I've seen this in physician groups. And so at Render Care, sure, we had some CDMD talent come in because of the quote unquote know-how. That's not why we succeeded. The chairman of our board, Dr. Kenny, and the board, they're leading by example because they self-sacrifice self-interest. They lose an arm to get everyone to trust and win. 
it needs leaders that are willing, not just, they're looking for leaders that are servant leaders, especially physicians. Same way, race relations, I think it's a similar, any human interaction, when everyone tries to win, we all lose. Yeah, total game theory. Okay, my last question is, what advice would you give to our audience about pursuing a career in medicine or healthcare uh, in general um, moving forward? I don't think there's a one size, one answer fits all, right? Um, most normal human beings shouldn't care about having to change the world. They're, they should be caring about themselves, right? They should be trying to be better people. Um, so with that being said, I think very early on in medical school, particularly, you should get exposed to as many different flavors, be exposed to as many specialties as possible. Don't rule anything out. Be um, exposed to as many different types of physicians, not just clinical, but researchers and from business to entrepreneurs to pharma companies and um, get exposed. I wish I had done that earlier. Great advice. Well, Richard, I really want to thank you for taking the time to, to be with us on Raise Line today, but more importantly for the work that you've been doing for decades now in terms of improving healthcare and providing more access, especially to underserved populations. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you, Sid, for your time. Well, to our audience, thank you for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>